0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In our Advent series, we explore the beautiful truths of the Christmas story and how those truths impact our life and faith. Yes, it's really happened. It's the story of Christmas, and it's an incredible story. But as we heard from Tim Keller, I wanted to, to start our, our time together by just making that point that it's not a story that starts once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. It's a true story, a story of our Savior and how he was, came to be with us. So today we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, the announcement <clears throat> to Mary that she will be giving birth to the Savior. This is found in Luke 1, and we're going to be... Um, Reading verses 26 down to 38. So let me read them real quick for us to get us an idea. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of give us the back story. Give us the, what's happening whenever all this happens. And, and then we're just going to walk through the story of this announcement. So in, in Luke 1 it says this. In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth we know it never comes back void, Lord. We just pray for your Holy Spirit to work through me and in the hearts of everyone that may be listening, Father. Lord, we pray that your Spirit does the work along with your Word. Lord, that's how we change. And if we're here today and we don't, we don't know you, Lord, we, we pray that this gospel news, this good news of this, this Savior who was born will fall on ears that you have caused to hear. And may they then turn from whatever they are trusting in in life and turn and trust and believe in you. And for all of us who know Christ, Lord, that we we want to be like Mary, simply in the way that she was indifferent to whatever God may have for her. That's the life of a Christian. And Lord, we pray that we will see that today and we will savor all that he has done for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So our story begins today in in a small town of Nazareth, and a young carpenter named Joseph has fallen in love with a young woman named Mary. Now, when I say young, I'm talking like 12 to 14 years old. This is about the ages of these folks from the best at the scholars can tell. In fact, he was so in love he went to his dad about marrying Mary. So Joseph goes to his dad. Now that might be a little bit different for us, like because usually when things maybe are done properly, in in some sense, that the guy will go to the father of the one that he's asking to be married to ask his hand for her in marriage, right? for For her hand in marriage, he's asking the dad. But this is not how it happened in first century Galilee. It is a is it a custom for the dad of the groom to go and talk to the dad of the bride? And then they work out a covenant. And in this covenant there is some sort of compensation, and this is just out of respect for the two families. So this is kind of what's happening in the background as as we're dropping in to Gabriel's. Announcement with this covenant in place between the two fathers, Joseph, Joseph was free to ask Mary to be his bride. This would involve a ring, much like today's engagement. It would involve a ring and the proposal, and maybe a little bit different than the way we do things today. Is this would happen in front of friends and family, and, and the main reason why this would happen between in front of friend, uh, friends and family is to make sure that Mary's not under any duress in this decision. I don't know, maybe being in front of friends and family, I'm sure it's not as, quite as, as bad as being in a football stadium or something when, when folks do it that way. Um, but that's, that's why they did it this way. This would begin the period of time between the engagement and the consummation, known as the betrothal. And this is where we're picking up our story. When the betrothal began, everything changed for Joseph and Mary except their addresses. So, their lives have changed. So, a covenant was made between the dads. The price was settled. Joseph gets the ring. He goes before friends and family and asks her for her hand in marriage. Now, everything changes about them except their addresses, right? They were married by every legal definition. However, they did not live together and did not consummate their marriage. This was a season set aside to learn to love each other deeply, to depend on and trust each other fully, to be set apart for one another. Now, you're going to hear, as as we talk about this, you're hearing the story of the bride, the church, and the groom, Jesus, and, and how it's a little bit different than the way we celebrate our weddings. For Joseph, there was a home to build, right? So, they're in this betrothal of time. It's time to go build a home for, for him and Mary. So he was spend time working with his dad as a carpenter, obviously, because he handed that down to Jesus. We know Jesus was a carpenter, so that's probably handed down from, from one generation to another. That's usually how things happen back then. So he's, he's preparing all of that, Right. For Mary it is a time of preparation. Also, she will, she still lived with her parents, but in very real sense, she has been given a new identity. Right? She has been set apart for a wedding feast and a marriage. Isn't that neat? Set apart for a wedding feast and a marriage. But if you read Revelation, you know that that's where we're headed as the bride of Christ. That's where we're headed. So Joseph again would spend his days working in the family business, and his free time preparing this. Home. Mary would spend her days arranging her wedding day apparel, building her hope chest, filled with items she would need to set up home in a new house, as she patiently waited for Joseph to come get her. See, that's a big difference. The bride is preparing herself for the groom to come get her. That's what we as a church are doing. We are preparing ourselves as we grow and mature in Christ, waiting for our groom to come get her. Now, we know that in many weddings and the weddings that are usually done today, the, the, the groom is waiting for the bride to come, right? It's kind of the opposite idea. So this is the point in time where the story of the birth of our Lord and Savior breaks in. This is what's going on in Joseph's life. This is what's going on in Mary's life. And we read in Luke one twenty six. it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So now we kind of know what's happening here, what's going on in the whole plot, within the whole narrative of the story. Of all the places and people in the world, God chose a lowly um, girl that did not have much significance. Mary was among the lowly. Like many people in Israel, she was a poor, uneducated peasant living in a small country town far from the center of power. She didn't know that, or did she care, she was getting married. She didn't realize that. She didn't know that. She was going to be married. Gabriel's appearance shows us something about God, though. It shows us something about who he is and his character and how he relates to us. And what God shows us about God is his grace is for the lowly. His grace is for the lowly. And God showed grace to Mary simply in the way that he said hello to her. This is how we know he was showing grace to her. In, In verse 28 he says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you, Greetings, O oh favored one. God is with you, not because of any merit within Mary, but simply because of God's grace. He just simply chose to lavish his grace on Mary. Nothing within her, nothing special about her, is his decision. A wonderful God that we serve. Luther paraphrased this greeting like this. O oh Mary, you are blessed. You have a gracious God. No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown such grace. Now, it, I think it's worth mentioning here that some uh, different people have kind of gone sideways. You know, specifically, um, maybe the, the Catholic Church in, in thinking that Mary can exude grace, that can give grace. Right? And, and they use this passage, and that's why I thought it would be relevant because I know that many of us have um, family and friends and, and neighbors and, and things that they go to the Catholic Church and do pray to Mary. So, where are they getting their idea that they can pray for Mary? Well, they go back to this verse, and this is one of the verses that they do use. See, the, the, the angel's greeting has been misunderstood. Gabriel was not worshiping Mary nor did he say that she was full of grace. These ideas come from a prayer in a Roman Catholic Church. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of death. This is not a biblical prayer. Although it has some biblical language in it, the the problem is that it treats Mary as the source of grace. Grace. Rather than as the object of grace. She's not the source of grace. She was the object of grace. grace. God decided to lavish his grace on Mary. That's exactly what he does with us. There's nothing special about any of us. It's just that God chose to lavish his grace upon us. And this should kind of take us down a couple of notches whenever we're trying to love those that are not believers that we can look at them with with compassion the same way God looked at us. Because there wasn't nothing special in us. It was simply that God chose. One day someone was presenting the gospel and God decided and chose to lavish his grace upon us and he changed us. He gave us a new heart so therefore all the things that they're saying, actually we cared about them where before we would just blow them off. He just lavished his grace on Mary. She's not full of grace. It's, it's, she's not the source. She is the object. God is the source. People pray to Mary because they think she has grace to give. But the phrase full of grace is based on a Latin translation called the Vulgate. That is really a mistranslation. And even many Roman Catholic Bible scholars admit this, although most still think that Christians should pray to Mary. What the Bible says is she is a recipient of God's grace, not a storehouse of grace. The way Mary helps us is not by giving us grace, but by showing us that God can give us the same kind of grace that he gave her. He can give us the same kind of grace. And he does every single day. She received grace from God. Her example proves that God shows unmerited favor to lowly sinners even when we feel small and insignificant overlooked by the world we can know that god is still for us many day times as we walk through our week and we go through our work day or we're we're home with the children or we're just living in within our community the, the world around us kind of just kind of press in and beat down on us but we know that god's grace is there for us his mercies are new each and every day he will never give you what You cannot handle if you're relying and trusting on Him. See, Gabriel's greeting shows God's grace for the lowly. This is so comforting for us, but in the moment, with an angel standing before her, Mary was still troubled. Now, I don't know if you've paid attention that most times when an angel appears in the Bible, the people's usually like on the ground or running for their lives because it's such a terrifying thing. But it just says here that Mary was troubled. Like, it's amazing that the grace that, the, that God poured out on her, even in that moment, was for her not to, to, to be completely terrified, to lose her wits about her, but she was troubled about something, right? And I think there's a difference of being terrified and troubled, like you're, you're trying to think through something. In Luke one twenty nine, it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, naturally, the wheels are spinning, and she's trying to figure this all out, right? Gabriel did not leave her in suspense, though, but followed his greeting with an announcement. And this is what we find in verses 30 through 33. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So with these words, the angel announced the greatest event in human history, the coming of the Son of God. And Mary, you are going to be right in the middle of it. You're going to be right smack in the middle of it. By his grace, by God's grace, Mary, you will give birth to a son then Gabriel proceeded to explain the significance of this child, telling about his person and telling us about his work. That's what we see within those verses. Is it tells us about who he is and the work that he will be doing. So who is he? Well, Gabriel says that his name is to be Jesus. And this name, Jesus, means God saves, or the Lord is Salvation. This was the first hint that Jesus would be the Savior. He would bring salvation to sinners by dying on the cross in shame and then being raised into glory. The next thing that the angel says not only will his name be Jesus, but the next thing he says, he will be great. He would be great. To understand this, we, we kind of got to look at the, the, the whole chapter and go back because what Luke has done is use a literary device of comparison by, by showing us John's account and then showing us Jesus' account. So maybe later on today or, or this week you can read both accounts and there's a really good comparison about the two people and how much greater Jesus is. Right? Those two accounts by Dr. Luke are comparing and contrasting each other to show us how much greater Jesus is than John. Gabriel appeared, if we look back at, at John's story, Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and said that John the Baptist would be great before the Lord, right? But Jesus is Lord. This is why we kind of read the, the, the John passage in, in our time of New Testament reading, because the Word is God, and He's always been God. And, and the Lord, Jesus is the Lord. He is God. His greatness is not limited in any way. It's not limited in any way. By saying that Jesus would be great, Gabriel's testifying to the deity of Jesus Christ. The Bible testifies that when great is used without qualification, it almost always refers to God Himself. God's wisdom is great. His works are great. His power is great. His mercy is great. Psalms 92.5 says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. Psalm 103.11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And we know from the accounts of Jesus' life that God does not define greatness by status. God defines greatness by service. That's how he defines greatness. Luke 22, 27 says, For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. That's how God defines greatness. It's not a status. It's not a position. It's, it's the one who Who serves. And we know that that Jesus served us in so many ways, especially going to the cross in our place. Jesus was the greatest because of his sacrifice on the cross. He became the servant of all. After testifying to his greatness, the angel said that Jesus would be called the Son of the Most High. And later, Gabriel calls him the Son of God. So, this Jesus, this baby that's in Mary's that Mary will give birth to, is God. He is the Son of God. Divine Sonship is the eternal identity as the second person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is God. God, the eternal Son. This is who this Savior is. This is who Jesus is. I mean, have you stopped and think about that? That our eternal play in life before we are saved as we are eternally separated from God. God's wrath is upon us on the day of judgment. And what does God do for that? He sends himself, the second, second person in the Trinity, to go and die in our place to save us. That's incredible that he loves us and cares for us so much, that he lavishes grace upon us so much. This is who he is. For the first time in history, the mystery of who the Messiah would be has been revealed. This is who he is, Jesus, who is great, who is the Son of God. Now, what will this Messiah do? What will Jesus do? He says, he will reign forever, and the kingdom he reigns over will never end. We see this in Luke one thirty-three. He says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, it'll never end. It's, it's forever. It's everlasting, which ties into the, the fact that he is God. What throne will he sit upon? The, the throne of David. As Luke has already indicated, the earthly father Joseph came from the house of David, which meant that Jesus was David's rightful heir. Long ago, God promised David that his son will have a kingdom that would never end. In 2 Samuel uh, 7.13, it says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In 2 Samuel 7.16, it says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So the reign of, of King Jesus will last forever. It's much different than any other king or any other president that we may have. He is an eternal king. It'll last forever. These ancient promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the son of David and Israel's eternal king. This was the angel's announcement. This is who he is. This is what he's going to do. Mary would give birth to a son named Jesus, who would be the great Savior and the Son of God, the most powerful ruler in the history of the world. And the amazing thing is, is the way that he rules and the way that he reigned while he was on earth is is by serving others. He served each one of us here if we were in Christ today by going to the cross in our place. The question for us is, is, do you trust that promise? Is this the God that you worship every day? Or have you formed a God in your own image or in the way that you think God should be? This is who He is. This is what the Word of God shows us, who He is. It was written so that you would know for sure, so that you would believe in Jesus as your Savior, worship Him as your great God, and serve Him as your everlasting King. Is He King over your life today? I mean, has He even made it King over your schedule for next week? So many things that... That we could be doing with our lives and technology and, and just the world we live in makes things so much easier, and I know it, it makes it so much harder. We have all this free time. I get that. I struggle with that too. But if he's king and he saved me, he lavished his grace upon me, then then what am I doing to serve him? What am I doing to serve him? And many times we can we can serve him just like the great commission says as you go. So everybody has to go to work because the Bible clearly says if you don't work you don't eat. So if you're going to work you can serve him as you go by proclaiming, by loving, by serving others and telling them of the good news. Especially this time of season where everyone's just a little bit more open to hearing about it. Do you serve him as king? Is he your king? Do you believe the angel's promise? See, Mary believed Gabriel. But she still had a question. (laughs) She seemed to believe him, but she still had a question, right? In in verse 34, we read this. "And, And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary was preparing for the consummation of her marriage. That has not happened yet. How could she conceive and bear a son if she had never been with a man? This question was not one of unbelief. Like Luke's account, again, I'll go back to saying that this is a compare and contrast idea. Whenever you look at Zachariah's question, it's completely different than Mary's question. Listen to Zachariah's question in in verse 18 in Luke 1. It says, And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? Mary's saying, Okay, how are you going to do it, Lord, and Zachariah is saying, well, how do I know I can believe you, Gabriel, an angel that just appeared before me? Stop and think about that. He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. See, there's a compare and contrast here. Where, where Mary believed, she just wants to know, okay, I, I, I may be 14, but I kind of know how this baby thing works, Right? And I know that that I've been betrothed to Joseph and and we've kept our, you know, kept myself pure and and, and it's all good that way. So how is this going to be? See, he wanted to know, Zachariah did, how I should, how am I going to be able to believe this? And Mary just simply wanted to know, how is this going to happen? You know, and and for our lives many times. You know, we we have Psalms and we have different places in the Bible where there's people lamenting and they're questioning God and they're asking God, it's okay to ask God. It's okay to ask him, to, not in unbelief, but it's okay to ask him like Mary did. It's like, okay, I don't know how you're going to do this, but can you at least give me a little bit of clue? Or maybe you're just trust him. But I think God's big enough to have those conversations. I know I have them all the time, as I try to lead others and responsible for others and have taken a responsibility for your walk with God and and where you will end up one day, whatever that second judgment might be, I always want to know. But that's unbelief. Now I've been asking, how are you going to do it? (laughs) And then just wait for him to show me. See, Mary wanted to know how it would happen the mechanics of it. Unlike Zachariah, she believed the promise would come true. But she was still curious to know how it would happen. Gabriel gave her an answer. In Luke 1, 35-37, he says this, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born with will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has... Also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called bearing. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. See, Mary asked the same question that people still ask today. How can this be? How can this story be true? How can a woman become pregnant without having sexual relations? How in the world can this actually happen? The answer is very simple: if you believe in the power of God. The answer is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is the miracle of the virgin birth that Christians have always confessed. Gabriel told Mary that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. He would overshadow her. This language echoes all through the Old Testament. It reminds us that the Holy Spirit has been actively involved in everything that God has done. Why? Because he's part of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all working together. The Holy Spirit was present at creation, overshadowing the waters of the earth. In Genesis 1-2 we read, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit was there at Exodus, overshadowing the tabernacle. Exodus 40 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Later the Spirit would overshadow Jesus, anointing Him for His earthly ministry. In Hebrews 9, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead, works to serve the living God. And even by the Spirit, He was raised from the dead. Romans 1.4 says, And it, it was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then you know what? The Spirit even overshadows the church today. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the Holy Spirit's been at work from the the beginning of time. He's been working, and he's been overshadowing. He's, He's been doing things instant amongst us. And he's always been part of the church. He's always overshadowed the church. He's given us the power to go and do what we cannot do on our own. It is the power of his presence that we serve Christ today. The Holy Spirit has been overshadowing God's people from the very beginning, working with the Father and the Son for our salvation. Think about it. When things are birthed in God's economy, the Holy Spirit is usually at work, is it not? He birthed, He took the, the formless void and, and made it form as the earth. And he took the church and made it the church at Pentecost. even does it within us. So it's creation, it's new birth, it's the birth of Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit working. If we say that Jesus was not born of a virgin, then either we believe that Mary was sexually immoral, or that Luke was a writer of fiction, or both, which takes us back to what Keller was saying, that this is a true story. It doesn't start once upon a time, or in a galaxy far, far away. Even worse, we deny the deity of Jesus Christ because it is His conception by the Holy Spirit that makes Him the Holy Son of God. This event is the defining point of what we just talked about in our Slaves No Longer series. We were looking at Romans 6. When we started that whole series by looking at we are either born in Adam or we are in Christ. If there is no virgin birth, then there is no union with Christ. That is different, separate, other than union with Adam. Because that means Jesus was just a man instead of God and man. So therefore, our whole salvation goes away. So that's how very important it is to believe this doctrine, this truth of the Incarnation. Because if we don't believe it, then there's no difference between Jesus and Adam and that means we're still in Adam. That means our eternal life will be separated from God because he's not the Savior. It's so very important. So Gabriel declares that nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing will be impossible for God. And if God could perform the miracle of the virgin birth, then he is quite capable. Listen to this. He is quite capable of handling the difficulties of your daily life. Do you trust him that way? Do you give your day to him each morning? I'm pretty sure he's quite capable of handling it. He is quite capable of helping us through it. Do you believe this today? Do you trust in this? Do you live this today? See, Mary believed it. And what a difference it made in her life. Mary's answer to the angel shows us a life of indifference. That's what I entitled today's message, a life of indifference. And brother and sister, we need to be striving for a life of indifference. Look what she says in, in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, that's a life of indifference. Let it be. To be spiritually indifferent is to be at a place where you hold no preference apart from the preference that the will of God be done here, today, with this matter. That's a life of spiritual indifference is to be at a place where you hold no preference apart from the preference that the will of God be done here, today, with this matter. This is what Mary shows us. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She lived a life of indifference. It's like, okay, you've lavished your grace upon me. I am your servant. I will do whatever you ask of me. Because I know that you are a good God and everything that you will have me do is for my good. It is for my benefit. This is the life of a Christian. We are not setting our own agendas for life for the next month, for the next week, or the next day. We are seeking God's will for what we are to do. That's how we're taught to pray, is it not? Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul even showed us he lived like this, didn't he? He lived a life of indifference. In Philippians 1, we read, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Remember, he's in prison here, right? And he's saying this. That it is my year expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. That's a life of indifference. That's a life of saying, okay, God, you are my king, and whatever you would have me to do, I am good with that. And see, and what the lie is and what the, the world tells us, what our flesh tells us is, no, that's not what's best for us. That if I go and do X, Y, or Z, that'll make me so much happier. That'll give me so much more joy. But it never does. And we know that because we consistently have to go back to those same things over and over again. But Mary's just like, I'll do it, Lord. Whatever you want me to do. In fact, it was just a declaration. God was just telling her, this is what's going to happen. How rare is it to find someone who is willing to trust God for the impossible and then obey him without hesitation or qualification? Mary was a woman of great faith. She understood that once we know what God wants to do, any delay is a sign of unbelief. Mary trusted God even when it seemed impossible. She wanted to offer God humble, trusting, submissive obedience. She was committing to doing whatever she was told to do. Her calling was to serve. How did Mary agree knowing all the consequences that she faced? Being pregnant before the consummation, she did it by faith. That's how we are to do it. We do it by faith. She trusted God for all of it. Her relationship with Joseph, her reputation in town, her physical suffering, and the anguish of her soul. The anguish of being there whenever your own son is crucified for doing no wrong. Mary believed in God and followed him with trusting obedience. This is what it means to be a Christian. Indeed, we might even say that Mary was the first Christian, for a Christian is simply a person who believes in Jesus and says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Are you willing to be God's servant? Then surrender to his will and submit to his word. Give up control, putting things into his hands, rather than bending them to your own purposes. Live for God no matter what other people think. And do this even if it means suffering for the cause of Christ. Just like Nate said, that the gospel, it demands a response. Jesus, born in a manger, demands a response. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ, and by the work of his Holy Spirit, we are able to say what Mary said. Have it your way, Lord, not mine. I am ready to do your will. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And We are reminded this Christmas season of this wonderful grace that you have lavished upon us. And Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to check our hearts, to show us in what areas of our lives that we have not given over to King Jesus. And by your Spirit, and by your Word, and by your brothers and sisters in Christ, please help us to do that more and more each day. Lord, help us to live a life of indifference. Indifference in a sense that we are open to whatever you want done. That we are joyful in whatever you have for us. Even though it may cause temporary suffering, we know that you have a greater plan and we know that our destination is secure in you. Father, help us be a a people who live indifferent to what you might have for us. To be willing to move wherever you want us to go to love and to care for others. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.